Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a podcast that keeps you up to date on the market and helps you make smart choices with your investments. Before we get started, we should inform you that the views based in this podcast are those of the participants only. As individual circumstances differ, you should seek appropriate professional advice. I'm Mairead Needham from ASB, and today John Smith and I will be discussing active versus passive management and how our different perspectives can inform investment decisions. It's great to be back in the hot seat again. Thank you for joining me today, John. A recap on my role with ASB. As I said, I'm a senior investment analyst within the investment strategy team in the wealth department. And uh, part of my role is to um, look at the managers, monitor them, assess them. And um, when we're doing reviews or picking new managers, I'm involved in that process. And then on a day-to-day basis, just general monitoring of performance, looking under the hood of our investments, how's everything going? Um, I also work a little bit with the investment committee. Um, Yeah, so quite a a varied role. And as I've said before, you'll probably know from my accent, I'm not a local. Been here for five years, though. Um, Soon to be citizen, so I'm looking forward to that. Get get my own passport. I'm joined by John Smith. And yes, that is a real name. And uh, John, I'll just let you have a quick introduction of yourself. Yeah, so I'm really, really pleased to have the opportunity to come and talk to our customers uh, in this sort of forum, my first experience of a podcast. Um, My role in ASB is uh, I'm the head of asset management. That means that uh, in the first instance, I'm responsible for for looking to get the best investment outcomes for our customers. Uh, I have a a role uh, which relates to product as well. The products are uh, my responsibility. I'm a member of the ASB Investment Committee, uh, and uh, you know our focus is is about getting the best outcomes for our customers. Um, I'm uh, you probably can tell from my accent. I'm a Kiwi. Uh, I was born in Auckland, uh, and uh, you know had a bit of experience uh, abroad in my uh, career. Started in the um, started in the investment sphere in the mid eighties. So I've had. a Good amount of experience. It's 30 odd years. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a while. Yeah, while well, you were crawling around on the, on the former race. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you might have been a you might have been a young sort of like ah, very young. Very, very young. <laughs> From an investment perspective, um, you and I married have got quite quite different perspectives. I've got um, 30 odd years of of experience of markets going up and down. You're more recently in the markets. I suppose from my perspective at least I can I can think about uh, the the Barclays Index, which was the New Zealand Index back when I was first in the market, um, being at four thousand uh, in early nineteen eighty seven, and then crashing to two thousand, and uh, but recovering, and and now that same index is now the NZX fifty, and it's it's nearly ten thousand. So I can see markets volatility and uh, and you know many levels of volatility in between, whereas from and and you know people of you know of my age you probably had experience of markets doing a number of different things but always going up over time whereas your what what are your friends and colleagues say about markets yeah well i've been in the industry 14 years so whilst i did experience a little bit of the the gfc in my very early days like i was i was brand new into the workforce so i didn't know anything different at that point and while it was chaotic um you know, I had nothing to judge it against. And since then, I literally everything has gone up with some bumps in, in the road in, in the meantime. 
But yeah, it's all been really good stories. Um, although I only moved here five years ago, so post-GFC in Ireland was a bit of a different place. You know, every year when you went and had your um, pay review uh, conversation with your manager, it was um, basically, you're lucky to have a job and you did feel that way. <laughs> um, but I feel like New Zealand didn't so much go through that. And so my peer is here. I feel haven't really had that that sense, and whilst I do talk about the GFC in Ireland, um, I don't know how that compared to say you talked about the market crashing in the eighties. Like, how did that compare? Global markets crash, but New Zealand didn't really have the same crash as the global markets. Well, well, no, no. In 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 the eighties, the late eighties, New Zealand was a lot worse. I mean, uh, the Black Monday, uh, nineteen eighty seven crash. The US market went down twenty percent in a day, but in New Zealand, it carried on for a few years, and the property market was poor. And um, yeah, as I said, the New Zealand market lost nearly fifty percent. So, so it was quite gloomy. Ah, uh, yeah, it was in was New pretty Zealand gloomy. And, and and actually, the the times that we've seen and and since the GFC have been very very unusual. The New Zealand economy has been really really strong. Um, but well, but rockstar economy is what people yeah, were calling it yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, rockstar economy. Um, so I, I suppose the, the 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 point of this, in some some senses, is um, everybody, our customers, just like you and I, have very different perspectives. And and I think that 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 you know, I think there's value in having those different perspectives because we can bring that uh, into both our investment approach and also into the way we communicate with our customers. It probably shapes how we think about risk as well. Um, when you haven't experienced those massive downfalls or you know drops in markets, you're probably a little bit um, more of a risk taker, I imagine. Yeah, and and you know you, you, when you and you and I know the different conversations we will we'll have about about risk, and uh, you know I I have conversations with my kids who are adult. Uh, and about their attitudes towards risk, whereas when I grew up, you know, my attitude is, I mean, I mortgage rates were twenty two percent when I was first looking at getting a, a mortgage, and my kids are getting, you know, mortgages at four percent. Uh, this is just just a very very different world. But then the house prices are probably very different as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely, so. people as individuals are either. Uh, can be on a spectrum of risk taking, right? So mm. there are people who go out and they're entrepreneurs and they just go out and you know they run companies and they're they're natural risk takers. And there are other people who are very much more comfortable um, just being quite conservative in their lives and, and may only invest in a term deposit. Yeah, nothing else. And and and, and that's their that's their propensity. And and there's a real interest. There's a really interesting. Uh, dynamic between the propensity of an individual as in terms of whether they're naturally risk takers or not and the other part of it which is at the stage of life that they're at in an investment sense whether they have more tolerance for risk or not so for example I'd say to you Mm -hmm. that at your stage of life, you have plenty of years ahead of you to, to, to achieve investment returns you've got plenty of time to recover from market volatility if it occurs, uh, you should probably take as much investment risk as, as as you can within your tolerance. You've got to be comfortable with it. But to some extent, you, you're best advised to overcome your natural conservatism. I'm not quite sure if you oh, are particularly conservative. I think I, I, think I am quite. I think. <laughs> and on that point, so yes, I do have time to recover. And um I'm also at the stage where I'm saving and thinking of buying a house at some point. So I want to try and build up my finances for that 
But um, so it is a case of managing my risk tolerance, but also my view of, of risk as well. So I do invest in KiwiSaver, ASP KiwiSaver and, and investment funds personally. And I do push myself out of my comfort zone, but I am conscious that I may need the money um, some money in the near term if I do go down that route of, of buying a house or buying some sort of unit. Um, but like you say, the, there is that, I do have that ability, given I'm a bit younger, to withstand some of the volatility. There's a real natural tension between the, the, the natural inclination of the individual in terms of their risk tolerance. Some people are more conservative, some people are more aggressive, and then the particular goal that they have. And so if your goal at, at your stage of life is simply, I don't have anything in particular I'm trying to buy, I should, I'm just putting aside money for my retirement, which is, you know, 30 odd years away, or, and actually look through retirement, it's even longer, then, then you should be taking as much risk as possible and you might need to overcome your natural conservatism. Whereas if you are saving for a house, well, that goal is actually within a relatively short time frame. So you want to be confident about the amount of money. So you probably want to dial back your risk in relation to that particular goal, because you don't want to get within so six months of, of being wanting to buy a house and all of a sudden you're exposed to a lot of market volatility and you don't have as much money as you thought. Similarly, to, for a person like, like myself, um, you, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to be closer to retirement than you, so um, <laughs> my natural inclination as an individual uh, might be more conservative um, spectrum anyway, but, my, but, but my, also my stage in life is, is likely to be more... Uh, focused upon capital and being confident about the amount of capital that I have to fund my retirement. So my my propensity for risk um, as an individual might be somewhat low, but but the risk profile that I might have uh, as an individual, given my stage of life, might also be lower. Not low. I've still got while I'm while I'm um, a few years away from retirement yet. Retirement's not the end of my life. My the end of my life is going to be when I'm ninety or hundred. So I've got a long time to live off my money. So I don't want to get too conservative, because what I know is that if I put it in a deposit in the bank, uh, inflation's going to eat up on it. So I need, to, yeah, I still need to take some risk. But these are this the the risk, the risk thing for individuals, and time frame and 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 age is is a is a fascinating dynamic. And it's. Also, not just about the individual, like if you're in a partnership, then you've got to take your partner's um, risk appetite and I guess their wealth as well into into account and how that fits together as, as a partnership. Oh, you're absolutely right on that one. And, I, you know, you know, I've, I've spoken to you, this, to, to you about this before, Mairead, but, but my wife is quite conservative. Uh, and so actually I balance uh, that conservatism by investing more aggressively uh, where I can so that we balance out the risk yeah. profile. So, you know, you, you do need to think about yourselves uh, as a couple because our assets are our assets. So we need to take, to you know, to to try and take the right risk profile for the stage of life we're at. So mm. you need to take that into account as well, absolutely. Mm. It's all just a different uh, different environments. And, and I, think, I think it's important to have 
um, those different perspectives because our customers have very very different perspectives and and they don't they don't a lot of them don't have the experience of me but many of them have the experience that, that you have and and yeah you know, our experience is sort of like color the way we invest and I think um, what I'm reminded of in this conversation is that with your thirty odd years experience and you've seen so much that you're quite level headed and um, I guess disciplined in the approach to investments so feel quite safe is it feel that our money is um managed well and safe you know we've got good processes in place when we've got such a wide variety of people so whilst you have your views that then people like me come in with um challenging views and just you know we think about things slightly differently and the team is um quite broad so there's a lot of different views coming in and we all challenge each other and we do, and and I think that that's really really important because um one's perspective is one's perspective and you have to listen to other people's perspective because you're not always right. Experience is experience, but it definitely doesn't mean you're right all the time. Ah. Uh, and if and and what I find with you is that you'll challenge what I might say, and it forces me to explain it and think and think about it in a different way. And I think that's that's incredibly powerful. So I, I thought that with that context. Um, it would be a good opportunity for us to talk a little bit about a couple of the investment beliefs in the previous um, podcasts. Uh, there's Jonathan Beale, who who I think people who are listening will recognise that name, has spoken about our investment beliefs, and ASB has uh, six investment beliefs. It's I think it's quite useful for us to talk uh, in this conversation a bit, a bit about a couple of them, uh, two of them, and and if I just uh, just uh, grab them, the first one I'd like to talk about is. Uh, the investment belief, which is that we consider active management where we're satisfied that a manager can add value over the long term. Interesting thing in there is active management, and I think that's a really interesting conversation about what we mean by active management. And then the other one that, that I think is is really important for us to talk about is asset allocation and currency decisions are the most important investment decisions we make. They drive the majority of the investment outcome. And I, I thought it would be, be interesting to have a conversation about why, what, what on earth mm. is asset allocation? <laughs> um, and and why, are the most, why are they the most important decisions we make? Yeah, absolutely. Well, will we will we go back to the first one, the active management thing? And what, what does active management actually mean? Well, technically, active management is uh, an investment decision which is um, taken in a manner which is to out- outperform a benchmark. So do you think that and what, that... what do you mean by benchmark? Well, yeah. So my, my question to you was, do you think that's what most people think they mean by active management? Um, well, well, for my friends who aren't in the industry... Um, I, I don't know if they would think like that necessarily. They, I, I think they would ask that question that I just asked. What's a benchmark? Yeah. Um, so they, um, they they would probably think about active management as being out there researching um, stocks and bonds on a on a very detailed basis, and that is that is one level of active management. So going down to the individual security level within a fund. And maybe thousands of securities within a fund. So, so do people understand what passive management is? Oh well, passive sounds lazy, doesn't it? Yeah. What passive is, I think, is there's another term for it, which is index, uh, index tracking. And I think the thing that leaps out to me is, what do you mean by an index? Right. And and I think the best example of an index, you know, certainly from my history, is the Dow Jones Industrial Averages is an index. 
the S&P 500 is an index. The NZX 50 is an index. You hear these things reported in the media frequently. But what, what does that mean? Hmm. What, what, what is an index? Uh, it's a basket of stocks. In New Zealand, there's 50 of them. They're the 50 biggest companies listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. And every day, they basically add up the value of each of those companies, and they come up with a number, and that's the index value. And then the next day, after the markets have moved up and down, then they'll add up the value of all those companies again, and there'll be a value, and it'll be it'll be um, a different number. Mm. And so then that's the value of the index has moved. So it's basically the index is a group of companies. Uh, in the in the US, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is a is an average of thirty companies. The thirty big companies in the US, the US uh, are called the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So that's the index. And then what's index tracking? Index tracking and passive are pretty much synonyms for each other. And index tracking is literally where you try to achieve the return of the index. So if, you, if you're index tracking the Dow Jones Industrial Average, then what you're trying to do is you're trying to achieve the, the, the investment return that the Dow Jones Industrial Average does. So you typically do that by owning the same, you know, owning a proportion of, of uh, the companies, the 30 companies that are in that index in the same proportion that they exist in the index. And so by, as a result, you end up with a return which is similar to the index. So the index is index um, tracking or passive style is is a contrast to active because what an active manager is trying to do, let's take the Dow Jones 30 again, is that they're going to go along and they're going to visit the 30 companies and they're going to form a view on which of those 30 companies is better than the other ones and decides to put more investment in some of them and less investment in other, others of them and as a result, they're going to get a return which is different and better than the Dow Jones Industrial Index. That's, I suppose, what active and passive is in a, in a rel- relatively simple way. And you can take that up, as, as you were saying before, you can take that up into um, an index can also, is also referred to in our jargon, jargon in every industry, um, uh, the jargon in our industry is an index is also a benchmark. And a benchmark in, in just about any vernacular is something that you use as a standard and you try and do better than it. You measure yourself against that benchmark. So with most of our portfolios, we have things called benchmarks. There are things that we're trying to uh, perform against. And um, we do that at the individual like Australasian equities perspective or New Zealand equities perspective or US equities perspective. We do it when we put the portfolio together at a, um, when we put the bonds and shares together. And So it's basically, if we've done a good job, we can judge ourselves against this benchmark. Have we achieved the benchmark when we're doing index tracking or effectively passive That's correct. investment? So passive investment is the benchmark. You're looking to achieve the benchmark's performance. You're not trying to do anything better than that. It's typically a lot cheaper um, than active management in terms of uh, because you're paying a person for their for a particular skill, uh, 
which is, you know, the judgmental skill of being able to research and analyse a company and, and pick which companies are better. So do you think you can do active or active in all different asset classes or all different regions? Or is sometimes maybe there there's no proof there that active management adds value? Well, as you know, um, in, 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 in your role, we engage with um, external parties to to give us data, which uh, which gives us information over time as to whether active managers, people who are active managing uh, uh, assets actively in certain areas like bonds or shares or shares in New Zealand or shares in the US or just shares globally or bonds globally. They're all different ways you can invest. And there are different managers that have expertise and skill sets in each of those areas. So our external advisors will tell us what the data shows as to whether those active managers truly are able to outperform the benchmark. Uh, and comes back to that, that belief we have, which is that we'll consider active management where we believe it adds value. So if, um, if the data that, that our external advisors give us, gives us shows that on average, the managers out there actually can't perform better than the index, then we'll typically go down an index tracking route in terms of the way we invest money. Hmm. So we don't, if we don't believe in it, we don't do it, and therefore we don't charge customers needlessly. Ab- well, absolutely right. I mean, one of our beliefs is, again, that cost is important. So, hmm. so we don't want to be charging customers for managing the money actively if the underlying investment manager doesn't actually add value. It doesn't, absolutely. Yeah. You shouldn't be always looking to pay the lowest possible fee because uh, I think that, that, that all of us know uh, that there is, there is quality out there. I mean, uh, you know, I think in a, in a clothing sense, for example, you'll go out and you'll, you'll know that, you know, there's some really, really good clothing out there, but you might need to pay for it. Mm. Or appliances. <laughs> right? Sorry, or appliances, absolutely. You invest in a good washing machine, it'll last you for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the but the one that you pay the cheap price for it might just break down in a little while. And, and so there, there there's there's absolutely a linkage between price and value. As an investor, I think it's really important that you don't just look at price as the the most important thing. And you say, okay, well, I'm I'm actually looking to pay the lowest possible price because we just had that discussion. Lowest price doesn't necessarily mean um, best, it won't necessarily last. You know your example of, a, of an appliance, um, but uh, but equally, paying more doesn't necessarily translate. So you need to do a bit of your um, bit of research. And the best uh, examples of that is there are there are tables that are published that that show the performance of uh, of managers, and ultimately the returns that are published are after fees. So you should not necessarily always be comparing just the fees that, that you're being charged by your manager, but you should actually be comparing the returns that they're getting for you uh, over time because those returns are after fees uh, and um, you know uh, some managers will be charging you higher fees but getting you higher returns. Others will be charging you higher fees and not getting you higher returns. You, the, the fee piece in it uh, isn't necessarily going to tell you whether it's good or not. And I would say don't be afraid to pick up the phone and talk to your advisor and if you've got any questions about the fees you know just ask those questions and get comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, but you also talk about the returns that you get for the fees. Also 
I I would think about the level of risk you're taking for those returns. Are you taking too much risk, perhaps? So are you getting value for money when you take that extra risk? You want to take appropriate risk and get rewarded for that risk in terms of return. Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good point, Mairead. Uh, sometimes you might be uh, getting great returns and people are charging you high fees for it. But the reality is, is that actually how they're getting it is just by investing uh, a lot of your money in just a few stocks. And, you know, when that, when that's right, that's right. And it's very, very right. But, but if it turns, then uh, it can actually go very, very badly against you. So, uh, and that that would be quite a concentrated, potentially high risk strategy. Whereas a uh, manager who's investing in a more diversified way, uh, potentially there's not quite as much risk associated with that portfolio. So, uh, you, I mean, I think that's really really important to to consider the risk that's in the portfolios as well. And again, the advisor is always on hand to help you understand the level of risk that you're taking in your portfolio. Absolutely. John, it's been great chatting with you today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, hopefully our listeners got um, something out of that. Yeah. And uh, we'll uh, maybe meet again in a future podcast. Yeah, look, I mean, I really enjoyed it, Mairead. I mean, you and I have some great conversations uh, outside of this podcast room. So I hope I get invited back. It's, uh, it's been a great experience. I'm sure you will. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ASB Investment Podcast. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to hear, contact us at podcasts at asb.co.nz.